I'm a student of the Enneagram, first of all, but um, my successful story is I grew up in Lowell, where um, it's a little town or city in Massachusetts. And I came from generation after generation of people who did the best they could, but they were very emotionally unhealthy. And because of that, I lived in a cycle of poverty where we didn't even have the rent to pay our rent so often that we would move maybe once or twice every single year. And so I had to change schools, which then makes learning a little bit harder. And I was just very lucky that from you know my young years, I really was an avid reader. And I think that's part of my successful story is I've always had a deep desire to learn. Another day, another task, think fast with a whole nother mission complete. Successful-ish. Pick up the weight, press on, and act on the visions to see. I'm successful-ish. Sit back and bask in the glory of all the goals I achieved. Successful-ish. Lose a stack, get it back, reinvest, hope, wait, then I roll up my sleeve. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Successful-ish. I'm Sarah Michelle, and today on the podcast, we are talking to Kelly Tibbetts, and I am so excited. She's going to be giving a little bit of an overview of the Enneagram, which is a fun little tool if you're not familiar with it. And Kelly has served for over 20 years as a leader in local New England churches. She is a life coach and a certified Enneagram coach. She's been married to her husband, Fred, for over 25 years. They have three adult daughters, and their uh, their kiddos, Elizabeth, is an innovation strategist in Boston. What a great title, an innovation strategist. <laughs> um, Katie and Emily are in college, and her hobbies include extreme couponing, got to find out what that is, kickboxing, and the new app Clubhouse. Kelly believes her job is to help people believe that they were made on purpose and for a purpose. Her program helps people apply three tools to invest in this season of life through and their thought work, energy investment, and awareness of why we think, feel, and do as we do using the wisdom of the Enneagram. So before I jump into anything, Kelly, thank you so much for being on the show. What is extreme couponing? Oh, thanks for asking, Sarah, and thanks for having me here on the show. So extreme couponing is not just using a coupon or two. It is being able to stack coupons and Ibotta and different things so that when you go to the store, you end up either buying everything and it costs you no money or they give you money back. I think I found this, I don't know, five or six years ago. And just at CVS alone, I've saved like $17,000. So it's just a super fun little hobby. And with three daughters, we would get our makeup. And let me tell you, when the pandemic started, I was somebody who had toilet paper. So it's kind of a useful hobby too. That is kind of amazing. And I wish we lived closer and I would just send you my shopping list. Exactly. Right. And I'd be like, here, for me. get you that half price. Yeah. yeah. So what is something that you failed at this week? What are you figuring out? Well, thanks for asking. So as a life coach, I think one of the things I've been most influenced by is the work of Brooke Castillo from the Life Coach School. And she teaches us that the circumstances of life do not create the results of your life. You have a thought about the circumstance and you make it mean something. And that thought creates a feeling, which then creates an action. And so I've been doing work on this since May. And the main work that I do is to manage my own mind. My adult children have very fun lives and they go places and do things. And my mind, when it goes to the future, finds the anxiety part of the future, rarely the fun part of life. And so the other day, my daughter flew into California to see her other sister and for some reason decided to tell me that she was landing and she hadn't flown by herself across the country yet. So she didn't realize like when you start descending, it takes a while. And I am woken up at 1245 by this, right? So 
I assume I'm going to get a text in five to 10 minutes that we landed. And 45 minutes later, my brain has just been so mismanaged. And I'm convinced that, you know, there was a plane accident that just hasn't made the news yet. So that's something I failed at because I'm working daily to manage my thoughts. And yet, you know, middle of the night, you don't always have your logic on. And I just have a human brain and human brains do what it does, you know, do the things that they do. So that's why I myself get coached every week and why I'm so passionate about being able to help people by being a coach. Yep. I, I think it's so, I don't know if funny is the right word, but just the thought spirals that we can set ourselves on and, you know, someone doesn't return a text. They're like, they're dead. God, they, sure. they died or they stopped <laughs> loving me or they're in a dish somewhere and I can't reach them. And yeah. um, we can send ourselves in these thought spirals where suddenly we are all worked up and crying over a fake situation. I that know, I know. Happened. And energy that could have been invested into something that brought a result is then just wasted on an imaginary scenario. So we that's the work I'm doing. Be, yeah, we should at least be writing it down and translating it into a lifetime movie. Or Exactly, right? I would make the best lifetime movies. Yeah, Stephen King Absolutely. and I would be best friends. So tell us a little bit about your successful story and what makes you you and how you got into the Enneagram and what made you become an Enneagram expert. Oh, thank you. Um, well, I'm a student of the Enneagram, first of all, but um, my successful story is I grew up in Lowell, where um, it's a little town or city in Massachusetts. And I came from generation after generation of people who did the best they could, but they were very emotionally unhealthy. And because of that, I lived in a cycle of poverty where we didn't even have the rent to pay our rent so often that we would move maybe once or twice every single year. And so I had to change schools, which then makes learning a little bit harder. And I was just very lucky that from, you know, my young years, I really was an avid reader. And I think that's part of my successful story is I've always had a deep desire to learn. And so through books and conferences, I was able to do a lot of work to become an emotionally healthy leader, even though that wasn't something that came naturally because I wasn't surrounded by people who really pointed to that. And so I was able, with the help of my college, to be the first person in my family that went to um, the people in my church helped me to be the first person in my family that went to college. And from there, I was a teacher for a few years, met my husband. But I would say when I watch videos of me as a young mom, going to college wasn't enough to help break those systems that had made me really not believe in my own value. I listened to my voice. I watched myself in those videos. And I'm so sad for her that she just didn't believe that she was made on purpose for a purpose, right? And so I was about 35 years old when I discovered Pete Scazzaro, and he is a pastor out of New York City that really talks about what it looks like to be emotionally healthy. And I'll tell you, when I read that book for the first time, I couldn't even name my own emotions. And so the work that I've done since then has been really to identify why I think, feel, and do life the way I do. The Enneagram gave me language for that. It's just like learning a different language. And the Enneagram helps us understand that some people process life through their heart. That's me. But I wasn't allowed to use my feelings. It wasn't really approved of in the family that I grew up in. So I suppressed my own center of intelligence. And that happens all the time, you know, whether someone is in their gut but because they're female, nobody listens to them. And so they stop listening to their own gut or they are actually very wise, but because they don't have, you know, at their fingertips, the evidence that proves what they know to be true, they stop listening to themselves. And so I think that's the value of finding a coach. A coach can help you say, 
what do you think you're thinking? Let's look at it. And is it serving you? Because so many of our thoughts just don't serve us. They're on repeat from childhood. And instead of bringing us to the result that we want, that successful-ish place that we could be, we allow thoughts to just run around like a little toddler with a knife is how my life coach says it. And we don't pay any attention to it. And then all of a sudden, three, five, 10 years go by, and here we are in a place we don't want to be. So that's my path. I've been blessed to have just really good mentors and also just a deep desire to learn. And so the Enneagram is just one of my favorite tools to talk about, especially for um, people who are trying to become entrepreneurial. You have to do a lot of work on your own mind to get there. Yeah, absolutely. And I love I love personality metrics, uh-huh. being able to understand myself differently and it's a love-hate relationship because mm. any personality test I've ever taken, I've been able to identify with multiple pieces of mm-hmm. it. There's been very few. Um, Myers-Briggs might be the only one where I actually read the description and felt like, okay, yes, I am in that box. Mm. And so I think for, for many of us, there's an aversion to being boxed in. And mm. what I like about the Enneagram is that while there are nine different numbers, it also helps you understand nine different lenses mm-hmm. to see life. So I want to step back a little bit for anyone who hasn't heard of the Enneagram. How would you explain the Enneagram like you would to a kindergartner? Absolutely. Hey, I used to be a kindergarten teacher, so this is fun. Let's take out nine colors from your crayon box, right? All the colors are equally valuable. And so the Enneagram is a diagram of nine different numbers, nine different ways of thinking, feeling, and doing life. And so what it does for us is it helps us understand many different areas of our own life. Self-awareness is so key for us to be able to be people who can then, Mm -hmm. you know, walk with agency in life. I think that's one of the most powerful words that was spoken over me a couple of years ago. Are we going to walk with agency and own our own life? Are we going to stay in that triangle of unhealthy relationships where there's a victim and a bad guy and a rescuer? The Enneagram gives you the ability to notice where you are, but it's not a box that keeps you in there. The worst thing is when people take the little test and it becomes a meme and they walk around and they're very unkind to people and say something like, well, I'm an Enneagram 8, so what can I do? That is not the value of it. It is created so that you have a way to describe your path to growth. And so that's what I think at the core it is, sort of a GPS, a map of your path, your personal path of growth. I love that. And I know that I've used the Enneagram a little bit differently than Mm -hmm. others. And I know that typically, you know, we have our one number, we're in that one number. For me personally, I feel like I as I've deconstructed and grown and evolved, I've identified differently with different numbers. And for me, it's been less of saying, okay, I am this, and therefore I'm going to fit everything into this context. It's been really helpful in understanding the motivation because that's a lot of what the Enneagram is. It's understanding the key motivation or what's important to us and how we see things. And as that has changed in my life, I've began to understand myself differently and also understand different people. If we have different motivations, it's been very helpful to understand someone that I might just not like and to understand, okay, no, they're just being driven differently than I am. They care about something that I don't care about. And I care about something that they don't care about. And now that there's language for that, we can understand each other. And that has been really helpful. So I would love to just do a quick snapshot of what each number is 
And obviously this is so high level. And if you are curious and want to know what your Enneagram is, I would recommend doing a little bit deeper of a dive than this. Um, but at a top glance, let's talk about the nine different numbers and the characteristics that would define each of them. Thank you. And, you know, one thing I want to start with is I'm a huge fan of Beatrice Chestnut, and she actually um, helps us understand there's not nine types, there's actually 27 types. So when I begin talking about the Enneagram, I always start with these three instincts. And that might be something you notice as well, because through this last year of COVID, the stress that everyone was under, people didn't have the coping tools that we used to have to recover when we went past our limits. And so instead of having access to two different instincts, we really, really leaned into one. And I think that's why conflict has really risen in this last year, because we used to have an overlapping instinct with every other human. And when we've really you know, gone deep into just one instinct, it's made relationships really hard. So in addition to the nine numbers, there's also three instincts. And so that gives you 27 different flavors. So not just red, but orange red, and maybe more of you know, three shades of yellow or three shades of green. That's how I would describe it. So I'm gonna start like there is a clock. And it goes around from the number one to the number nine. So we're going to start with the Enneagram one. These are known as the perfectionists or the improvers. And so what we've learned about the Enneagram is there's nature versus nurture, right? There is energy that comes with birth. There are people who are born with an aggressive, assertive energy. There are people who are born with a compliant, present-focused energy, and there are people who are born with a withdrawn, past-focused energy. So that's the nature nurture. But what happens is somewhere around two, three, four, five, you start noticing what people say over you, and you end up choosing one of these numbers because it feels safe, it feels good, you feel loved. And so when we talk about these numbers, the best way to really find your number, especially if this year has been stressful for you, is to go back to that time when you leave your family of origin but you're not quite responsible for a lot of people in past capacity. Now, some people never get that, but most people get a time where either they move into their own apartment and have a job or they go off to college. And if you're able to go back to that season of your life to help you find the number that is your motivation. And then from there, you'll have a number on either side, which is a wing, and you can access those behaviors. There's also a number you go to in stress and in health. And I think that's what you're noticing is there's five different numbers that you're like, hey, now that I'm a little healthier and deconstructing some of the stuff that really didn't serve me, I'm more over here. I'm not feeling boxed into this stressed version of myself. Oh, when I was around these people, I really leaned into this number, my wing over here. And now that I feel a little safer and a little more together, I'm gonna lean into this other number and you have access to all five. So does that make sense? So we'll start with number one. And number ones are the improvers, the perfectionists or what they're called. But I do like that Ian Crone calls them the improvers, because that perfectionist title really gets in the way of people being able to see themselves in this. And again, as I describe it, I'm going to describe one version of this number, but there's actually three shades for each number. So if we go through one of two things, if all the numbers sound really good, and like maybe you see yourself in all of them, look at Enneagram 9. And if while I'm talking, you sound like, oh, it could be this or this, maybe you have a strong wing or maybe you're in a stressed place. And so I'd love to connect with you and there are lots of good resources to go through. But the ones, what you'll notice about yourself is you have a compliant personality. What does that mean? It means that you have the ability to move with people to get your needs met. I want you to picture just standing up straight and moving to the left or the right. That's what compliant people do. We take the information around us and comply as needed to get our needs met. And so the Enneagram 1, 2, and 6, all compliant, present, focused energy. Much easier to do the stuff that needs to be done today. 
But when a one does it, they have an inner workbook, a little handbook that was written that they think the whole universe got. But nobody except for the ones, and especially nobody knows their handbook except for them. So they have a whole list of rules of what is right and what is wrong. And they're trying so hard to be right and good and improve things. So their motivation is based on four things. Everyone's motivation, four things, a core fear, a core desire, a core weakness, and a core longing. And their core longing is that people would say to them, you are so good. So can you picture them three, four, five years old, and they did something and someone says, what a good girl, what a good boy. And now they spend the rest of their life looking for that um, affirmation. So that's an Enneagram one. Next to the one side of that is the Enneagram two. So the one could have a two wing and the two could have a one wing. And some of the behavior would look the same, but their motivation is different. So I'm an Enneagram two. I'm in that compliant, present focused energy, but my motivation is not to be good. My motivation is that people would want me and love me. So I can picture myself at four or five. My mom had four little kids under the age of five. We were very poor. I'm sure I was very helpful. And when I was helpful, I probably was affirmed for that. Now, I also grew up in the evangelical church and an Enneagram two helpful woman is very affirmed. So I didn't struggle with my identity or my personality, sorry, because it was affirmed. My oldest daughter, however, did not get my personality and people didn't affirm it in the same way. So I didn't have a struggle being a two, it was actually affirmed. My problem was like most twos, I'm in the heart center and I can feel everybody's feelings. And I spend all my life complying, trying to make everybody else happy. Well, one of my three tools teaches that my thoughts create my feelings and my feelings then produce actions. And until I learned that, I was trying to change other people's actions so that my feelings felt better. And so that's my advice to Enneagram twos. Find Dr. Henry Cloud's boundaries and begin to notice where you're trying to manipulate the world so that your feelings feel better. So the two people would describe you as loving and kind. The ones, I promise, there's a space in your house right now and you know where all the mistakes are. There's a little voice pointing it out to you. That's the difference between a one and a two. But you can see how our behaviors might look the same if I lean into my one space or the one leans into the two space. So next to the two is the Enneagram three. And the Enneagram three is different from the two and that the Enneagram three has an aggressive future focused energy. Now, some people don't like the word aggressive, but it really is the right word. It means we'll do what needs to be done to get their needs met. And they are going to move independently of people. They don't need anyone else's opinion before they know what to do. The threes are in the heart center, but they are feeling repressed. There are three numbers that are in a center of intelligence, but they're repressed in the way that they process information. So what do I mean? If you're an Enneagram three, you can walk into a room and you will know how other people are feeling, but you struggle to know how you're feeling. Ever since you were a child, you would take your own feelings and put them in a box so that you could be really productive. So the threes tend to be really good at something when they're young, often a lot of things. And people say, what a good athlete, what a good student, what a good whatever. And the problem is when we connect our identity to anything other than love child of God and that identity breaks. So maybe you're an incredible athlete but then high school ends and you're not picked up for college sport. What do you do then? So this is where the Enneagram also serves you. This is where your disappointment is coming from. You're putting all of your identity as someone of value based on other people thinking that you are someone who is achieving. And so what we notice about our threes is we describe them sometimes like chameleons, like they'll change for the different people around them just to appear successful and achieving. The threes are so different from our Enneagram fours in their energy. What do I mean by energy? If you walk into a room and it's a pretty crowded room, we haven't had one of those in a year, but if you walk into one, the three, seven, eight aggressive energies, they'll be there in the middle and they'll enjoy the energy of the crowd. 
ones, twos, and sixes will be walking around. I often say the ones, twos, and sixes are making sure that everything is in place and there's enough food and every, you know, the sixes know where the exits are. But our four, fives, and nines, they're going to be withdrawn in their energy and they're going to be, you know, leaning back a little bit, maybe standing near the walls, afraid to really lean in. People just have different energy. They have different um, focus on time. And so the Enneagram four loves the past and finds the past a lot easier than the future. So a three and a four sometimes struggle to communicate because the three is so passionate and energized and trying to get to the future. And the four is withdrawn and holding onto their energy. In addition, the three is taking their feelings and putting it in a box. The four is wearing them like a heavy weighted blanket. They just love their feelings, especially those deep dark ones that go with a rainy day. And so they're often our musicians and our artists because they can really tap into the beauty of feelings. But you can see that when people don't understand that we think, feel, and do life differently, we expect others to be thinking, feeling, and doing like us. So a four and a three who are in the same family, generally in America, that four would feel like something's wrong with them because we just idolize Enneagram threes in America. The more unhealthy you are, the more promotions you're probably going to get. And so I want people to know that all nine types are beautiful and exactly right. We're just different. We have different access to energy. We have different ways that we process information. So the four, the three, and the two are processing life's information from their heart. Now we're going to move over to the five. The five, six, and seven, they're processing life's information from their mind. And so they're going to be deep thinkers, where the twos, threes, and fours were deep feelers. Our Enneagram fives are very withdrawn in their energy, just like those fours. In fact, it's said that they have the least amount of energy of any of the nine types. And so it's almost like they wake up in the morning and they have a little energy battery and they know how much they have and they plan their day carefully. That's why if you're friends with an Enneagram five or they serve alongside you, you can't throw a two hour meeting at the end of the day on them. They're not prepared for it and they feel like they don't have the energy for it. So just notice the difference. And so the fives, they're looking for a way to stay safe by information. An Enneagram five will always go very, very deep on something they're interested in. And so the internet has been wonderful to Enneagram fives. Before that, they'd be the kid who would be super excited about an encyclopedia. The Enneagram sixes are more compliant, a little bit more energy, looking to, instead of take care of their needs themselves, looking to other people to see if their needs can be met. And so they're also in this present um, focus with their energy. But what's interesting about a six is a six is trying to stay safe. A five is trying to have all the information. They're both using their mind to do it. So what I like to say for my sixes is, do you notice yourself always looking to the horizon and saying, what if, if this happens, then what will I do? They love to be prepared. Well, the truth is last February, none of us could have been prepared for the year that came. And we spend so much energy, just like I was sharing at the beginning of this, thinking about things in the future that may never happen. And so for our sixes to realize that, that with all your preparation, sometimes you miss out on the joy of life. And so the sixes are going to be in that compliant, head-centered energy, but they seem behavior-wise so different than the sevens, which are right next to them. The sevens are also in the head center. They think a lot, but they prefer thinking about things that are fun and positive. And so when things are not fun or positive, they do what we call reframing. And so really it's lying to themselves. It's thinking about it over and over again into a way where they can find the positive solution. And all of these little tools serve us until they don't. When a three puts their identity in achieving and they don't achieve and they don't have support, they don't know what to do with that. When a four bases all of their opinions on life on their feelings and their feelings are not true, they don't know what to do with that. And a seven, when life gets really disappointing and hard without some work, life 
seems overwhelming at that point because our sevens love to be enthusiastic. They're the people who bring the joy. They're the party. And this year has been really hard on our sevens. The things that they could think about for the future seem to be taken away from them. The things that they used to do for fun are no longer allowed. And so they had to really do their work in order to stay healthy. And we all did. So next to the seven is the eight. And the eight is not in the head center. They're in the gut center. Eight, nines, and ones really listen to their intuition. One way that you might notice which number um, group you're in is to ask the people around you. Do I say, I feel a lot when I talk? Do I say, I think a lot when I talk? Or do I say, I know a lot when I talk? That might help you know which center of intelligence you're in. So our Enneagram 8s were born with this belief that they're just not safe. And so they need to be very, very strong. And it's a great gift because they're the ones who change the world. But at the same time, it's a really big burden for them to feel like all the responsibility of life sits on their shoulders. So I'm raising an eight, a seven, and a three. And they're all adults now, but they came with really aggressive energy. And that was really hard for my husband and I because we had very compliant energy. My parents and his parents would say, we were such easy children. Whatever we were told to do, we did. And my three, seven, eight came with aggressive energy. And if we told them to do something, they would use their energy to not do it. And I I wish I had this information when they were younger because for too long, I denied the power that was given to my Enneagram 8 daughter. And the world around her did the same thing. People tend to call Enneagram 8s the B word, right? Like you're just too much. If you're a female, if you're a male, we usually put you into leadership. But for the Enneagram 8 females, my one strong word is you were made this way on purpose for a purpose. There is world changing inside of you and to lean into that strength, but at the same time to know the whole world doesn't actually rest on your shoulders, male or female, that you can be vulnerable. I think the path for every Enneagram 8 is just to spend a lot of time with Brene Brown and learn how to be vulnerable. So next to the 8s, we have the Enneagram 9. And those are known as our peacemakers. So they're also in that gut triad. They know in their gut what to do. But they have a different goal with their withdrawn energy. They're not trying to challenge everything. They're trying to find peace and harmony. And one of my favorite Enneagram teachers is actually a musician, Sleeping at Last, and you can um, look that up on YouTube. And his line about the nines is just so heartbreaking. It says, you know, you can spend half your life being less than half yourself. So the nines know what they want in their gut, but they give that up in order to keep the peace. And then finally, we go back to the one also in that gut center. And so knowing right from wrong based on that little rule book, but again, taking that um, energy that they have and just pouring it back into themselves and holding themselves sometimes to a standard that nobody could meet. So the point of the Enneagram is not to put you in a box and say, oh, well, I'm a two. My job on this earth is just to help and love everybody. No, it's to say, here's the strengths and the weaknesses of each one. And how can I do a really good job of taking care of myself so that I can lean more into the strengths and be able to be a very fluid person, able to use both wings and to move to the numbers that I move to in both stress and health. So that's just a high flyover of the nine types. It is a really beautiful way to understand different motivations and personalities and even how people are thinking, whether to your point, you're raising kids or whether you're running a business and you have employees in whatever relational context of being able to understand, you know, okay, one person is thinking logically, one person is feeling emotionally, one person has just a gut impulse and to be able to understand those three different pieces and how they go together can be so helpful, not in just feeling seen, but in being more open to considering that maybe there's other perspectives in the world. And, oh, and when you have people around you and you know this, you stop trying to do everything yourself. Mm -hmm. 
So if you have an aggressive future focused energy, you know that you like to start things, but the day to day is a little bit harder and man, looking backwards and, you know, finishing those books and putting everything away, that's really hard. So why not find a four, five or nine so that your best energy can be invested in what you're best at? Yeah, absolutely. And the other piece of it that was really helpful, I know when we talked a while back was understanding those other three ways to engage in relationships. That was really eye-opening for me because I know that you talked about the three different ways to engage in relationships, being the self-preservationalist, the person who just, you know, I'm taking care of myself. I'm very autonomous. There's the person who is the one to many, and that's the person who is, do you have everything you need? Are we all set? Is everything taken care of? And then there's the one-to-one, which is 100% um, how I came out. I have always been that person of looking for my one best friend. And if I can have my one person in my life, I'm good. I don't really need anyone else. And understanding that can also be really helpful because while I am a one-to-one person um, in not just romantic, but friendship contexts and work contexts, I tend to be very attracted to the self-preservationalist. I like autonomous people. I like people who don't really need to depend on me. They're very independent, but I was expecting them to be a one-on-one like I was. And it creates a dynamic where now I feel abandoned, they feel smothered. And really it's just that we have different ways of interpreting relationships. And as soon as I understood that they saw relationships differently, it freed me up to not take it as personally. Mm when someone needed alone time, because it would have never dawned on me to tell someone, I want a weekend where I don't have to see you or talk to you because that's not how I operate. I'm like, what are you talking about? We're best friends, BFF. Like we can't wear bracelets if we're not together all the time and (laughs) not in a needy clingy way. Just that was how I perceived relationships. So how do you see those three different dynamics mixing in with all the personalities, how can we navigate that? And how can we understand how to respect other people's energies and autonomy levels so that we can have healthy relationships with appropriate boundaries so that we're not overwhelming or neglecting people? I think that is so key. And so I, when I teach the Enneagram, I do the overview that we just did, but then I really like to dive deep into the 27 subtypes. And so I always give that resource for free if anyone's interested in learning more, because it really is what makes people so different. And so that social instinct, and again, I really feel like right now it's important for people to understand how healthy they are. When we're healthy, we notice the three instincts are present in us. There's one that's easy to access, which for you is the one-to-one, and for me is the self-preservation. And then there's one that's a little easier. And then there's one that's kind of hard. And so for me, it is actually that one-to-one. And both of my oldest daughters have it. And the way to describe the one-to-one, we're going to start there, is the, you know, the truth of what happens during, you know, it's self-preservation, social, and sexual for a reason of what intimacy and intensity looks like. The one-to-one instinct is looking for both intimacy and intensity. And so if you can't get intensity through an experience or conversation, a fight will work. And it's good for people to understand that the self-preservation is not looking for intimacy or intensity. They are looking to preserve themselves. And so how do they present differently? Well, that self-preservation instinct, you may notice like clothing, touch, and type matter to you. If it's cold out, you're super aware of it. If it's hot, you're very aware of it. If the floor is hard or soft, 
Well, guess what? These one-to-one intimacy people, they are not processing life that way if that's their third instinct. So even there to notice, oh my goodness, you have this constant fight over temperature because this one person seems so extreme. Well, maybe this is important to them, even though it's not important to you. And then finally, that third one, that social instinct, I think for all of those who are listening, who are involved in any organization, to notice whether this is first, second, or third is really going to serve you, both at work or in any nonprofit work you do. Because the social instinct says the big is more important than me. And when we say that, we go past our limits for things like churches and youth organizations and sports. And so notice a pattern in your life. Of those three things, which has tended to be most important to you? Are you looking to preserve yourself to make sure you have the food and the heat and the money that you need? Are you looking to take care of the big and to find a group that really appreciates you and notices you and you work really hard to keep that circle going? Or are you always looking for how my friend says it is the person you can scuba dive with because you're tired of just snorkeling with people, right? You want that one intense relationship. And then what grace you give those people who are wired differently than you. They don't have that same instinct. And so I think that is what has made relationships during COVID so hard is people went deep into one when normally we have pretty easy access to two. So last year at this time, People would have, if they worked with me, thought I was an Enneagram three with a social instinct. That's because I was leaning really heavily into my three wing and leading a church organization. I was very much into the big before me. But the truth is I'm an Enneagram two with a self-preservation instinct. And so when all of this happened, I mean, I ran around my house and made sure, okay, what do we need and how do I take care of all that? And what helped my marriage is my husband and I have the same instinct. We have the same relationship to time. We have the same instinct. It made our relationship easy, but other people didn't have that experience. And they may have noticed that the person that they used to have more in common with suddenly became hard, whether it was at work or at home. And so that's another piece that I think the Enneagram really serves us with is there are places we go in stress and health and it makes us almost appear to be different people. Now, what I love is you've noticed that as you've become healthier, you appear differently, but that's the direction you wanna go. You wanna be leaning into where where each of these numbers go on the high side and find the access to that. It is really helpful in understanding the different dynamics of just the motivation of why and answering that question, why am I, why is this important to me? Why am I motivated by this? And for me, the first time that I heard about the Enneagram or started looking into it, it was right in the middle of a separation and a really painful place in a relationship. And as I read about the number six and being this loyalist and being afraid to lose support, that very much explained why I was stuck. Because for me, I knew that I was in an unhealthy situation, but I really was panicking that if I lost my marriage Mm -hmm. and if I walked away from an unhealthy faith community, if I walked away from what my family believed, I was going to lose my support system and Mm -hmm. I would be just standing alone in the wilderness, not able to take care of myself. And being able to read that and that motivation, once I said it out loud and I was able, I had a, now I had a place I could start affirming Mm -hmm. and I could start saying, okay, do I really want the loyalty and support of this unhealthy person or group of people that isn't really supporting me? Is there evidence that suggests that I can't take care of myself because I think I've actually been taking care of myself for a really long time. And I think through that process, I was able to become more loyal to myself. Yeah. And that changed 
my personality dynamic a lot. And I've seen that in other contexts of being able to understand when someone is really stressed and unhealthy and being able to understand, okay, this person is a four, they're really feeling their feels. Uh And maybe I'm not a really feely person. So maybe I need to be a little more sensitive and understand, Uh okay, this person is just feeling deeply right now. And I need to respect that. Or, you know, if I am hanging out with a five, I have a lot of friends that are fives in the headspace. And maybe I need to understand I'm a little bit more feely than they are. Mm -hmm. They need something tactile to hold on to. They need something that they can touch and wrap their head around logically. And so to be able to understand what motivates different people it helps us have healthier relationships because now I know what people need to be affirmed in. Uh Do I need to tell someone, Hey, I think that you are doing the right thing. Do I need to tell someone you are so helpful and I appreciate you. Do I need to tell someone, wow, you are really kicking ass with your accomplishments and achievements. Yes. Or, you know, do I need to find a seven and say, Hey, let's shut out the world for a minute and have fun for a night. Exactly. Right. People. And I think that it's a really beautiful thing. How has the Enneagram helped you in your life become more successful? Well, I think that is the key piece. So I just became an entrepreneur myself this year. In October, I launched my own company. And so I had quite a few years of leading other teams of leaders. And, you know, during COVID, it didn't go very well. And I wasn't healthy and the people that were, you know, reporting to me weren't in a healthy place. And so it ended up going, you know, a place that I don't think it would have gone if we hadn't closed the buildings and all the stress of that. And so I learned from that what I want to bring to the next season of my life, which is I'm going to be looking to partner with people who know how to find that healthy place. And I think the Enneagram is the the baseline for that, for them to notice what does it look like for me? So as a six, you know, hey, when I go to this side of nine, it means probably I'm feeling very safe. I could be in this peaceful place and not have to find the exit strategy for everything. But also I can access the high side of three and really be successful. And so I don't have to go to the low side of any number. I just have to be aware of what it looks like. And then when I am there, what's my path back to health? Because I think you know, that is the most important thing that I've learned is my first job is for me to be healthy. And so what does that look like as a two? Because without health, I can become either very smothery, right? And people don't want a mother, they already have one, or I can become that Enneagram eight unhealthy, you know, angry, um, go from zero to 60 and scare people. Also doesn't serve anybody, but I can access the high side of that eight energy and be determined and change systems. And I can access the beauty of the four and find my feelings and take really good care of myself. So that is how it served me is first to be a way for me to understand my own life and what needs to happen. And then, as I said, it just provided a language that allowed my husband and my children and I to have really good conversations in a year that was hard for a lot of people. Yeah. And I I do think as much as I know I mentioned my my love-hate relationship of I, I do cringe a little bit when people say things like, oh yeah, well, I just do that because I'm a three or like, oh yeah, I'm, I'm just an eight. What are you going to do? You know? And that drives me crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, but on the flip side of it, I do think that there is something really beautiful about having language to be able to articulate mm-hmm. what we're feeling or why we are the way we are. And sometimes the most frustrating space is to feel misunderstood because you know exactly how you're feeling, but you don't have language to articulate it. And so even if it is more nuanced than a 
specific number or a sentence, it is really helpful to use that as a frame of context. Mm -hmm. Okay, here is some context, maybe put a little bit better of a picture on why I am the way that I am. Mm -hmm. what dynamic is going on. And it's also a great way to gauge whether you're in a healthy relationship, because if you are in a healthy relationship, the person on the other side will be more than willing to have this conversation with you and to understand and to listen. And if you are in an unhealthy relationship, you're going to find that the other person is going to be very reluctant to you being your own number or your own person. They're going to try to force you into their understanding. So that's been something that's really helpful as well of just gauging, do I have healthy relationships? Am I able to talk to people who are willing to have this conversation and willing to let me be me? And am I safe being Mm. myself, Mm -hmm. whatever that looks like? Absolutely. I'm so thankful that you found it for that reason. And again, leaning into the instincts will really serve you as well, because when people are unhealthy, they're very rigid right? So whether someone is like, I'm a one with no wings and I'm only self-preservation, that's time to go talk to a therapist because we are intended to not be rigid. We're intended to be fluid. And I think that is one of the struggles that like really being in the fundamental church, it made it like life is left or right or dark or light or wrong or good or bad. And and it's not, there's nuance, right? And so I think that's the beauty that you've discovered that you get to share. And that's what I hope people discover through it. It is not a little meme. Oh, I'm a seven, so I'm always on the happy side of life. No, I'm a seven. And so it's really good spiritual practices for me to find a way to be still and to find the five side of me, that thinker, and to lean into that. And it's also really good practice for me to find the high side of one and not jump from things to thing, but just to really lean into one thing and do it well. That's the beauty that it gives us is how can I become the healthiest person in my why, why I think, feel, and do life. So I'm glad that you noticed that it's all about the why. Absolutely. And we could have an entirely separate conversation about organizations and religions and structures that are based on one specific number or metric and what that does to people when you are demanding that everybody be a certain way or a certain type of personality, or you are insisting that you are the keeper of one version of truth. And I do love that that is one thing about understanding your personality and understanding other personalities is that we truly are the most successful when we are fully and completely comfortable in who we are and when we allow others that same freedom. Yes. And the more that I have leaned into dating myself, I know I've talked about going on a lot. Um, The more that I have dated myself, the more that I have spent that time and done the work to get to know myself just being me makes me a happier, freer, more loving person. And that implicitly gives other people the permission that they often feel that they need to do the same. And now it's a much brighter, safer, more secure world. And I think that is such a beautiful thing. I know that we threw out so much information and numbers and wings and sides and personalities and just so much. And there are people who spend their whole lives studying the Enneagram. Mm -hmm. So For anyone who is listening and is curious and wants to know themselves a little bit better, what is one place for them to start? What is the best way to just get started in exploring themselves a little bit more deeply? 
I don't think there's one best way, and that's what's going to be really fun for them to discover. Each author is, you know, at their core, one different motivation. So for Enneagram 2s, I point to Suzanne Stabile and Beatrice Chestnut. They have incredible websites, and they write really great books. But an Enneagram 4 might prefer Ian Crone. And so there are different authors. Um, there's the Enneagram Institute. There's really good um, you know, videos and things on YouTube. But one of the blessings of being on Clubhouse is it's a space where people from the entire world come into rooms and communicate. And it's been so fun to learn about the Enneagram from people around the world, because they often say, no matter what number you are all saying you are, all of you Americans sound like threes. And so, you know, even just the way we study the Enneagram in America tends to be very three. How do I get the information and become very successful with it? Well, you know, maybe decide to lean into one of the, you know, people who are sharing it from a different culture and open your understanding that way. So I think if you Google Enneagram, you're going to come across a lot of different resources. Find the way that works for you. For some people, it's podcasts and hearing different voices and connecting that way. For some people, take the test and then hold it with an open hand and say, these three to four numbers at the top may be the right number. And for other people, find a coach who can coach you through and help you get through those layers to be able to find your right number. And so if you're on Clubhouse, find me. I'm Kelly Tibbetts, and I love to talk about the Enneagram. Well, thank you so much for sharing your time and your expertise. And um, would love to hear from you if you know what your Enneagram number is uh, or if this has impacted you in your life. Would love to hear your story. Shoot us an email at embracetheish at gmail.com or hang out with us online at successfulish.com or Facebook, Instagram at embracetheish. Success and failure, none of opposite ends. Curveball hits, gotta know where to bend. The attitude will affect destination. Interview determines when you're gonna make it. Live between successes, makes life rich. Live in every moment, successfulish. Live between successes, makes life rich. Live in every moment, successfulish. Hey, successfulish. Another day, another task, think fast with a whole nother mission complete. I'm successfulish. Pick up the weight, press on, and act on the visions to see. I'm successfulish. Sit back and bask in the glory of all the goals I achieve. Successfulish. Lose a stack, get it back. Reinvest hope, wait, then I roll up my sleeve. Successfulish. Another day, another task, think fast with a whole nother mission complete. Successfulish. Pick up the weight, press on, and act on the visions to see. I'm successfulish. Sit back and bask in the glory of all the goals I achieve. Successfulish. Lose a stack, get it back, reinvest hope, wait, then I roll up my sleeve. Hey. All this weight on my arms need both flex. In this race, but behind need most steps. Had to show the learning curve, hope I don't crash. Hit your nerves when reserves got low cash. When I fail, realize that it won't last. You made it through in the past, just Look back, successfulish, you can see how the contrast Failures and wins, use the past and the bounce back You can never win if you never go and do it Failure is a hard road, rarely ever cruising Embracing all my wins with a handful of losing Expect the drought season when the plan's going fluent I can never really feel, it's all how you view it It's all a lesson, just depends how you use it Gather all the data and keep it all exclusive Never ending journey and the growth is therapeutic My identity is not in what you see, I am the better me Mistakes others make, I see, have a teacher me Compare yourself to others, it's an insult to tragedy We will make unique, gotta use again collectively Broke down my goals in a few little Toesome. Can't take them back cause you already spoke them Easily regressive, you don't stay focused Focus, live between success every moment Successfulish Another day, another task, think fast with a whole nother mission complete I'm successfulish Pick up the weight, press on, and act on the visions to see I'm successfulish Sit back and bask in the glory of all the goals I achieve Successfulish Lose a stack, get it back, reinvest, hope, wait, then I roll up my sleeve I'm successfulish Another day, another task, think fast with a whole nother mission complete Successfulish Pick up the weight, press on, and act on the visions to see I'm successfulish. Sit back and bask in the glory of all the goals I achieved. Successfulish. Lose a stack, get it back, reinvest, hope, wait, then I roll up my sleeve.